It is 12.03 on an absolutely excellent Saturday afternoon. Gorgeous. 16 degrees will be the high today. Nice uh, sunny days for Sunday and Monday as well. We are talking to uh, Dr. Lou. Luigi, you are here for another hour. We're taking calls as well. 416-870-6400, star 640 on sale. You're suffering from any kind of malady, and uh, you've treated a lot. I've treated um, a lot, yeah. A lot of stuff, man. A lot of stuff that's uh, musculoskeletal and everything else around that. We're going to talk about a couple things off the hop here. First, the week that was. I want to see what uh, has been happening in your clinic, in your network for the last little while. Yeah, one of... Um one of the patients I saw this week was um, a person who came to me, and they're actually an addiction patient now. Uh, and one of the things that I really wanted to talk about this week was that I, I forget what the exact number is, but I think it's about 20 or 25 percent of all people who are addiction patients uh, right now in Ontario are addiction patients because of originally being prescribed pain medications wow. for some type of problem. And this person was that type of uh, situation where they had hurt their back years and years ago they went to their family doctor family doctor prescribed opiate based yep. um, pain medication uh, and they became addicted and and a lot of the addiction we we seem to think i guess as a society that a lot of the addiction patients it's a, of their own doing some type of recreational drug right. and we forget to consider how much of it is actually the fault of the medical system um and when i say the medical system i don't mean the professionals because the doctors are just doing what they're taught to do uh it's it's the overall system back what happened in the I believe it was the 70s and 80s, opiate-based pain medication was mainly for cancer patients, people that were dealing with severe cancer pain, and they needed something to really help with that pain. Uh, and opiate-based medications were very good for that. Later on, what started to happen is because of how strong this medication was and how well it was helping with that type of cancer pain with these people mm -hmm. who were pretty much terminal uh, and helping them to at the very least live with the pain until their lives would end, uh, it started getting overprescribed. And so what ended up happening is that family doctors uh, started using these opiate-based medications for people that were not cancer patients. So now someone was coming in with back pain or neck pain or a shoulder pain, and they were being prescribed these medications. But the, the component that I guess was not known at the time was how addictive these things would become right. over time. And what's really happened is people don't really get rid of their pain. They become addicts, and now they have another problem. So um, I thought it was very, very interesting. I was actually at Queen's Park this week as well doing some um, lobbying for the Ontario Chiropractic Association for better ways to manage pain. And one of the things that we were talking about was the overprescription of opiate-based medications uh, and how there's other options out there where people don't have to go straight to that uh, type of treatment modality in order to get um, the relief that they're looking for. And again, I'm not suggesting that this never plays a role. I just think as uh, healthcare providers in general, we have to do a better job of being more cognizant of when we're going to use these things and understanding what the potential dangerous effects of it are. For those that don't know under that label, what would be opioid uh, painkillers under that banner? Like names you would recognize. You know? uh, there's a lot of different names uh, of the, it's anything that's really a narcotic uh, when you start to deal with, like Percocets right. is, it would okay. be, that would, I guess, be the most common that Big people time. would know. Um, and you know, opiate, it's, it's morphine, right? It's the, it's the same derivative. So, 
that's how dangerous these things are, right? Like it's the same chemical compound as cocaine type wow. of thing and heroin. And so uh, that's how addictive these types of medications are. And this is the type of stuff that we're putting into our bodies. And again, they do play a role, but I think there needs to be a very controlled aspect around it. And and I will say that we are definitely getting better as a healthcare system. I think uh, a lot of physicians realize what's happened. But it, again, in the 80s, the 90s, when this was kind of rampant and everyone was writing a script, a script, uh, the other other thing is when you look at the system and your hands are tied, this is kind of the, the only thing that a family physician could do because so many other things weren't covered by the OHIP system. So the only thing they really could do for their patients was prescribe this type of medication. Right. So that client that would come into your clinic uh, based on what you would do and you discovered this, uh, this painkiller addiction, uh, what would be your next step as a clinician? They came to see me specifically for the back pain that okay. they that they originally had it was just interesting to see how many other things have gone uh, astray for them now they're being treated in an addiction medicine clinic so they're having their that component of their life controlled which is good if I had seen a patient that wasn't going about that I would definitely get them to an addiction medicine clinic because they need to control it uh, but they're having that part controlled but the reality was their back pain was still there so the thing that they were originally prescribed that created an addiction uh, didn't get solved. And that that's kind of the sad part. Had had this person been better managed in the beginning, they likely would have their back pain under control and wouldn't be an addict. So you're gonna they're gonna have to backtrack a little bit. Once they get that under control, they'll probably be back with you if they're not still in combination of and deal with the actual root of the problem, right? The back pain. Yeah, and, and again, and we've talked about this before, when we look at someone who's that chronic the, the treatment aspect is not just physical. This is when you need to start including the mental side, uh, the psychological component of treatment, like the cognitive behavior CBT, therapies yeah. that we've talked about, uh, because a lot of it isn't physical anymore. It's, it's a learned pain, and they need to deal with it from that end as well. It's uh, going to be, what, 24 hours or 2 a.m. tonight that you're going to be turning the clocks back. This is going to, uh, it always has an effect on people. I guess bo- I, I'm one of these guys that says, you know what, let's split the difference. Let's turn it back a half hour and never do it again. Just leave yeah. it there for the rest of the time. Because <laughs> yeah. really, it doesn't benefit anybody. It just does more harm than good, really. I mean, they don't do it in Saskatchewan among you know, a million other places. But this always has effect on people. And the number one effect, and you must see this in your clinic as we uh, as we just get to the, uh, the first segment done here, is sleep. It affects mm-hmm. sleep in so many ways. Just that hour makes such a difference. Yeah, and especially when um, a lot of our listeners probably have heard uh, of the term of fibromyalgia or know someone who's mm-hmm. been diagnosed with fibromyalgia. And in the medical world, we kind of talk about it as a wastebasket term because when you actually break down the word fibromyalgia, right. fibro is fibers, myo is muscles, and alga just means pain. So it's really just saying pain of the body, of okay. the fibers and muscles. Uh, and so in the absence of any true pathology, someone with chronic pain will say has fibromyalgia. When they originally did the first studies looking at fibromyalgia, one of the things that they found with people who did have fibromyalgia, there were two common characteristics. One was that there was a depression component, going back to what I just said about uh, the psychological disposition. And the other thing was that was a common factor was poor sleep. So because sleep needs to be regenerative. So definitely uh, sleep that's not regenerative in nature, that's not truly restful, does cause people's pain levels. And these types of things when time changes can throw people's 
circadian rhythm off, and that can lead to different amplified pain in that period of time while you're adjusting. So it's not uncommon for us to see patients during periods of time changes or even weather changes where they have an exacerbation of their symptoms and they're wondering, it always happens in October, it always happens in May. And the reason really is because of how many things are changing. Your body becomes used to one thing, and as you start to introduce something different, your body responds. You're upsetting the apple cart. Yeah, Yeah. nice. Uh, We'd love to hear from you if you're one of those people that suffers that time change, you know, the the change in weather changes seasons, 416-870-6400, star 640 on sale. Give us your symptoms, let Dr. Lou talk to you. Lots more just getting warmed up here on the Dr. Payne Show, Talk Radio, AM 640. It is 1214 on Saturday right here, the last day of uh, this type of sunlight till you get up in the morning and it's reasonably light, but by 4.30 when you're going home, wah, 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 it's pitch black. It's a depressing <laughs> time of year. But hey guys, another month and a half, it starts getting bright again. Yeah. This is what happens when you live this far from the equator. <laughs> it's just crazy. We're talking about effects of pain and the change of time. We're talking about opioid drugs and all that stuff on the show today. And many things we're going to cover. Got uh, first call of the morning. Marcy, good morning. How are you? Good afternoon by this time. Hi, Marcy. Hi. Hi. I wanted to tell you a little bit about my case. Sure. I was uh, bucked off a very, very large horse okay. and landed on my sacrum. Okay. And the CAT scan did not show at that time was a vertical fracture between the S4 and S5 right beside the outlet of the sciatic nerve. Okay. We just thought I had a bad fall. Okay. Suffered through it, had the narcotics, had the oxys, had the Percocets, got through four months of it, back again, back again. I'm starting to think... But I always try to get better faster, so I went to a chiropractor, mm-hmm. who I'd used before, a sports injury guy. He put a mechanized rubber thumper on me. Okay. Let's shut the door, put it in one spot, put it on for 25 minutes. He fractured what we didn't know was a hairline so badly that it showed in an x-ray. Okay. What, can you just, uh, what was it that the chiropractor put on you? It was a mechanized rubber thumper. Rubber oh, the thumper, like okay. A hammer, yeah. Yeah. Like okay. a hammer, rubberized hammer. Right. That he just put in one spot and left me there for 25 minutes while he shut the door and talked about his place in Costa Rica to another client. Huh. Wow. Okay. I ended up, like, I phoned up my family doctor. I said, my God, something's really wrong. Mm-hmm. Then I talked to my surgeon. They said, how could you let a man do that to you? Mm-hmm. Well, no pain, no gain. The point is, I had to go back on the major narcotics mm-hmm. back again. I can sit, Sunnybrook was even willing to do surgery on me in order to put the concrete, but there were way too many side effects that mm-hmm. could go wrong by the concrete migrating. Mm-hmm. And they were going to see me in two weeks, but it was so bad. Right. My point of this whole exercise is if you only take these pain meds for pain, you will never be addicted, ever. After four months again, totally off the... I know it was Lyricus and Balta, something else thrown in. It was related, you know, anything that would help the nerve endings. After four months again, totally off everything. Mm-hmm. Because if you take it when you're not in pain, that's when you become addicted. If you take it with that you know you're in pain, you leave it. It's, it's not addictive. Well, Marcy, the one thing we have to consider, and thank you for your phone call, is that 
it may, may may not be addictive for you, but like you and you and I, John, were talking about off air. You said you're not an addictive type person, whereas some people do have certain predispositions yeah, just, to yeah, becoming addicted to it. whatever it is, whether it's working out, or gambling, or, or whatever, gambling, right? whatever yeah. it is. It, it really is, and this is where I'm saying where pain medication is not always bad. And in Marcy's case, she doesn't become addicted because she maybe doesn't have that addictive type of personality. She's also maybe a little bit better educated. She used it for what she needed to. And thankfully, she didn't become addicted. But we can't take that case and generalize and say that if you only use the medication for the pain, then you will not become addicted. Because if this is a person who does have pain and that pain is not getting better and they have an addictive personality and they're taking this medication, it can become an addiction problem. And although it's great that it didn't for her, it doesn't necessarily mean that it won't for everybody. And in fact, the results speak for themselves. We have a system like you and I were just talking about off air where we've created people with addictions because of these opiate medications. And then they're also funded through the system for addiction medicine, which could cost the system up to upwards of $10,000 per year for these patients. So for we, each patient. Yeah. And wow. sometimes more, sometimes a little bit less, but it's a lot of money that our OHIP system pays to keep these people in check. And I get, of course we should, but this is the problem when you look at the type of system that we have, when you look at that so much funding is allocated for so many different things and that we need to keep people well. And as much as we assume that this is all free, it's not. Our taxes pay for all this mm -hmm. stuff. And when we're paying for an addiction patient, that's our taxpayer money paying for that. And so, of course, these people that are in that situation now need to be provided the care. You bet. But we need to do a better job to not create this again so that we also remove the burden off the system. We'll talk more about that. Your phone calls, uh, 416-870-6400, star 640 on sale. Lots to get through on the Dr. Payne Show this afternoon. Talk radio, AM 640. 1223 on your Saturday afternoon, the Dr. Payne Show here, 416-870-6400, star 640 on sale. Got some open lines. Want to give us a call? You're suffering pain. You have questions, queries. Uh, Dr. Lou's here to answer those. You know, we were talking about, we feel so bad for Marcy. She called in, uh, got bucked off a horse, hairline fracture down there, sacrum. Right now yep. it was missed in an MRI. A CAT scan. Uh, CAT scan, rather. Yep. And uh, ended up going chiropractic, was on painkillers, and got a thumper put on the back. Yeah. What do you think about that? It was interesting in speaking to her, and this is kind of, um, it's kind of like this social norm where when we look at the allied health professionals like chiropractors, physiotherapists, massage therapists, the other guys who are not medical doctors, it's so much easier for the public to blame them. When you take Marcy's case, she got bucked off this horse, had a CAT scan, probably sent by her medical doctor, whether it was her family doctor, an emergency room doctor, whomever. It was missed. They didn't pick up that there was a hairline fracture. So she doesn't know. So she doesn't she's know. Innocent. And she, yeah, she's innocent. And, and they don't know. Then she goes to a chiropractor. The chiropractor probably, and, and I'm assuming here because I don't know what transpired in that office, but I do know that they would probably take a history. And in that history, Marcy probably says, I, I went for a CAT scan, comes back negative. Well, that's the information that he knows. Puts her down. It's not uncommon for chiropractors, physiotherapists to use thumpers, which is a vibration type of machine that just helps to loosen up the the muscles. And she gets a worse fracture. And she's really mad that the fracture is worse because of the chiropractor, which justifiably she should be. But she's also not considering, well, it, the hairline fracture was missed originally. And so then she goes to the surgeon and the surgeon says, how can you let someone do that to you? Blah, 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 mm -hmm. blah, blah. Well, wasn't it the mismanagement at the first point of contact that really led to all that? Because had she been given the right information, uh, 
going into the chiropractor's office, she may not have had that further exacerbation of that fracture. So, and I'm not, again, this is not me trying to say that the chiropractor is not wrong. There may be a point of negligence. I'm not here to comment on that. I wanted to really comment on the stigma towards a certain type of healthcare professional and where we let other ones off the hook so easy. And it just seems that if you're part of the medical, a medical doctor, people tend to let you off the hook a little bit easier versus if you fall in one of the other allied healthcare professions, mm-hmm. then all of a sudden you don't fall off the hook so easily. So you're saying chances are if Marcy, and again, not her fault because she didn't, no, no, she wasn't given her. the information. She yeah. didn't know. If, she didn't if, know. If, if the chiropractor had known, oh, a hairline fracture, maybe I'm not going to put a thumper on her back. It's true. And, and also, again, not to exonerate them completely, but Maybe there was a component where he should have done more investigating, he or she, whomever the chiropractor was. My point was just merely that she was so upset, and the medical profession, like she said, she went to the surgeon, uh, again, you know, reinstilled that, how could you let someone do that to you? Mm -hmm. But they're missing, well, what what about the one that was missed right in the beginning? Isn't that the first point of the problem? And that's a lot of the people that I see. It's that initial point of contact, that first person that you see that does the wrong thing, where your symptoms are either going to get worse or you don't get the right treatment. The ripple effect happening. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, she's, I mean, she's strong. We just, you know, wish all the best. Yeah, for sure. Got uh, Stevie in Hamilton. Hi, Steve. How are you? I'm good. Um, I just got a two-part question. So I've got three herniated discs in my lower back, uh, confirmed by an MRI. Yep. Uh, that happened about three years ago is when they found it. Um, so I have chronic pain down my legs, in my back. I can't stand for more than maybe 10 or 15 minutes, and i got to sit down. But as soon as I sit down, I've got instant relief. Okay. So super affecting my life. Uh, I've been to every chiropractor. I've been to my own family doctor, and... Uh, my family doctor had me on naproxen, and it was on that for three years. And then I read about the nasty effects to the kidneys, so I decided to go off it. Mm-hmm. Uh, now I'm managing with opiates as needed. Mm-hmm. But I just honestly, I just want my life back, and I don't know what to do. <laughs> um, the herniated discs, Steve, um, you said there's three of them. And then you mentioned that you have chronic pain in your legs. Is it both legs or one leg? Uh, it's both legs, and it goes down the front uh, into my kneecaps. No longer I'm standing, the worse the pain gets, so we know it's related. Yeah, so just right off the bat, when I hear symptoms like that, and then I hear someone say, when I sit down, it immediately gets better yeah. and bilateral. Most disc herniations will happen to one side, which means that the affected leg is usually on one side. Okay. And the, the reality about disc herniations is anytime you look at imaging, there has to be a correlation between what you see on the image and what the person's symptoms are. So what right. I mean by that is you can have something on imaging, but it's not necessarily causing the symptoms that you're describing. Your symptoms actually sound more like what would be common of stenosis in the low back, which is when the holes where the nerve exits get a little bit narrow due to arthritis. And then I when do you have s- that. They exactly. Have that in the MRI. Exactly. Yeah. And so it doesn't sound like it's the herniated discs that are actually what's causing your pain. It probably sounds more oh. like it's the stenosis. And maybe the problem that you faced is because a herniated disc is a lot more popular, let's say, in the medical world, when a professional sure. sees it, that's what they want to treat. Sure. And so maybe what's happened is people are treating that disc herniation, not realizing, well, wait, it's not the disc herniation, it's the stenosis. Steve, what I can tell you is, like we've said before, I offer free consultations. I'd love to be able to help you. You can call sure. the one eight five 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 doctor Lou number. You can book a time to, to speak to me or book a time to come see me. Totally free of charge. We can go through your case, and I can make the right recommendations for you. 
Okay, and if I was to like bring my MRI, you could look yeah, absolutely. It yeah, for sure. Advice. Yeah, okay, I, I, the more stuff that you can bring, the better. Steve, one eight five 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 five. Doctor Lou, we will squeeze uh, Marie in here before we take a break. Uh, good, uh, good afternoon, Marie. How are you? Um, pretty good, thank you. Okay, go ahead. Um, yes, I've got extremely sore feet. Okay, and my my doctor says it's because I've got poor circulation in the feet now. Mm-hmm. I wonder if the He's got me on uh, gabapentin, mm-hmm. um, and it seems to be increasing all the time. And I'm wondering, is there anything else that can do the trick, or how much gabapentin is it safe to take? Um, with with how old are you, Marie? Seventy-four. Seventy-four. Any other comorbidities like diabetes, heart disease, anything like that? Um, I have heart disease. Okay. Uh, coronary artery disease or whatever that is um arthritis okay so when you look at that type of a presentation where you have uh heart disease which often leads to what's called peripheral vascular disease which is kind of what you're complaining about where the circulation in the legs Mm -hmm. are not good there are other things that can be done uh in order to help the circulation and they're not things really based on medication or not medication, things like compression stockings uh, may provide an effect where the compression of that sock helps to uh, create better flow. Also, one of the things uh, that I always talk to my elderly patients about, because circulation decreases whether we like it or not as we age, you need to keep moving. If you're not moving and you're sitting a lot of the time, that's going to decrease the the flow that's going on. so again, Marie, I think uh, that's the type of thing. If you give us a call, we can have a quick specific chat about what the, the things that you are doing and not doing, and then we can go through it uh, a little more in depth and give you some better advice. Marie, this number again, one eight five 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 five. doctor Lou, one eight five 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 D R L O U. For everyone else, you want to give us a call, you got uh, well another half hour of the show, please do 416-870-6400, star 640 on sale. It is a busy Dr. Payne show right here this afternoon on Talk Radio, AM 640. It is 1233. Welcome back to the Dr. Payne Show. Dr. Lewis here answering your calls, 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell. We've got open lines. Would love to hear from you today. Jason, how are you? Not bad, guys. How are you? Good. Thanks for hanging in. What's uh, what's your concern? Well, um, I, I just turned 40, so one thing I, I, I've learned over the last couple of years in particular is that I'm no longer invincible. Yeah. yeah, trust me, it doesn't get any better, Chief. Keep going. <laughs> right. so, um, let me, I wanted to ask you, Dr. Lou, uh, yeah. about um, uh, pain that I uh, sustained when I was in the gym. I was doing a, a wide grip um, uh, me, barbell curl, and um, it was the, a late set, and I felt uh, something give on um, in my back, the, uh, the right uh below the right shoulder blade. Okay. Anyway, I didn't think much of it at the time until, you know, a couple hours later, the pain got worse and worse and worse, so bad that I ended up having to go to the hospital and get some painkillers. Anyway, it threw me out of the gym for a month and a half. I went to my doctor. Um, he prescribed, you know, the, the Percocet and, and and just really the masking of the, of the pain and, you know, I mean, going in for an MRI, not until January. Okay. Um, I've since been back to the gym, but what I've noticed, because the pain has finally subsided after about a month or so, um, what I noticed is I have significantly decreased strength on my right side, particularly when I'm doing um, you know, anything related to my back, and even um, uh, dumbbell curls, for example. On one side, I can do 35. On the other side, 
barely 20. Okay. I, I'm, I just want a proper diagnosis. I want to understand what the heck it is. Sure. And what I can do next time to prevent this from happening. I mean, should I be doing yoga? Should I be drinking more water? You know, these sorts of things. And I'd really like to understand if I'm ever going to get my strength back. Okay. I'm reading here on the, the screen that we have that you mentioned to the, the call um, the call screener yeah. uh, felt like it collapsed. Is your shoulder blade, have is it visibly collapsed at all? Um, well, that, that's what I'm not sure. Like, I, I look in the mirror, um, I compare one to the other, and there's a significantly decreased um, muscle mass. Like, okay. it's, almost like it's, it's almost like it's gone, it seems. Okay. Like as compared to the other side. Okay. So one of the things right off the bat that I can tell you when you look at decreased muscle mass, you have to think about what affects the motor component of a muscle, which is nerves. Nerve. And no. so it sounds, again, Jason... Um, this is probably something you want to figure it out. You can absolutely give me a call, have that free consultation. But one of the things I can tell you right off the bat is anytime you have something like that where you've lost muscle bulk, it's often related to a nerve. Yep. And the problem is, is you're feeling this in your back, kind of what we would call the parascapular uh, area, which is between the shoulder blade and in the back. And yes. the reality about that is there's a nerve called the long thoracic nerve, which actually goes down in that area and supplies those muscles. Doesn't actually come from the back. It comes from the neck. neck. So the problem that you yeah. may have where everyone's missing is that the problem may actually be in the neck. It's being missed. And therefore, you're treating the area of complaint, which is often the case. People treat the area of complaint not realizing that the root cause of the complaint can come from a more distant area. So, again, Jason, I think it's uh, I think if it is what I'm thinking, it's absolutely something that can be helped. Give us a call. Uh, we can absolutely have that consultation totally free of charge and uh, we can get you the help you need. That makes sense. And one one final question. Yep. Is it safe to get back into the gym and, and you know, obviously, you, you, you know, you listen to your body, what your body tells you in terms of pain and, and whatever restriction. But is it is it safe to get back in there and maybe lift with a decreased amount of uh, weight, for example? I, I would say the best answer in that case is let's have our discussion first so that I can okay. know more before I start okay. saying, yes, you should or shouldn't. Because the reality is I don't have enough of a picture right now. Even what I'm telling you, it sounds like that, like textbook. But again, things always change. This is where the detailed component of an assessment matters very much where I can actually have that discussion with you and start looking at the clues and do my detective work to really find out what the problem is. Okay, that sounds perfect. Okay. Thank you very much. No problem, Jason. Jason, again, one eight five 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 five. Doctor Lou, I knew you were going to go there because you knew about, that, eh? well, seven years ago, similar but not exactly similar to Jason. I was doing a dumbbell shoulder press in the yep. gym, and oh, went, and I thought I was convinced I'd pulled a lower trapezius muscle. Right. And it was like they, it was so bad I couldn't even lean back in the car to drive. I had to support myself on the yep. wheel. And I go, when's this going to go away? Eventually, getting uh, um, an MRI and an X-ray, I have an anterior bulge of one of the discs in my neck. neck. That's right. And same thing. I would stand in the mirror yeah. like this and go, man, my right arm is now 30% smaller, visibly smaller yeah. than my left. And it's not, it'll never get 100% because they won't do surgery, but it's, it's come back. But same thing. I knew you were going to say yeah. that. And, and again, this that. is a big problem that I see where people and practitioners and the public, and it's normal to think that my hand hurts, therefore the problem is in my hand. Yes. The reality is we got to look at what supplies the hand, where's everything connected. And 
I see a tremendous amount of people that have what they think is carpal tunnel syndrome and they have that numbness and tingling in the first three fingers. Mm -hmm. They're being treated by somebody for the carpal tunnel. So they're wearing a brace, but it's not getting better. You take a look at it and it's either coming from the, the anterior component of the pec or it's coming from the neck. And once you can actually find the root cause, which is essential, you treat the, because again, I've always said this proper diagnosis equals proper treatment, which means proper uh, plan of management. And if your diagnosis is wrong, then you're not going to treat it the right way. You're not okay. going to get better. This is why as healthcare professionals, what I do is I look at things and I come up with what's the most likely diagnosis, but I always give my patients what I call my differential list, where I say, here's your most likely diagnosis, but it could also be this or this. Mm-hmm. We're going to treat A first. Hopefully it gets better because I could be wrong too, but at least I know if I'm wrong, it could be B or C and we'll get you better. Kevin, we'll get you in before the uh, break. What's happening, big fella? Okay, sounds great. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yep. Um, I, I, I've been suffering for years um, with uh, pain. Um, started back in 82. I tore the leg against my left leg, but was really happy with the results of, of rehab, getting all my speed back playing baseball. But then afterwards, my knees kept on collapsing and it resulted in I have two artificial knees and an artificial left ankle right now. Okay. And, and my hands were operated off a carpal tunnel, and, uh, and one of the callers earlier said about how the, the pain management pills or whatever you're taking should be addictive or not addictive, and I agree with your comments about how we're all different. Yeah. But it is true if you over-medicate, the, the pain pills will go to the pain and if you take too much the rest of it goes to your head so mm-hmm. you for you high and mm-hmm. then that's where the problem starts right over medicating and, and it's a fine line of, of what what you know if you take more or not right yeah and and again i i agree with that point as well and i also agreed with marcy where for some people it's not going to have uh a negative effect, but for some people can have an effect. To say that you take a pill and if you over-medicate, some goes to the pain and the rest goes to your head, that's not really the way it works mm-hmm. in terms of like the, the medication doesn't know, okay, well, I'm going to the area of pain right. and then I'm going to the head. Uh, it's, it's not really doesn't work that way but the reality is some people do over medicate and become their own doctors and it's not even just with pain medication one of the epidemics that we're going to face going forward is the amount of bacteria that's going to be antibiotic resistant and a lot of that is due to people not finishing their course of antibiotics because they become their own doctor and pharmacist and what they don't realize is they stop taking their medication when their symptoms improve but they're not necessarily the all the bacteria hasn't been killed and then what you end up doing is just creating adaptation in that bacteria. So nice. it's an important point. You shouldn't be your own uh, doctor and pharmacist. Need get the right advice. Lines are open, 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell. We'd love to hear from you for the remaining time of the Dr. Payne Show and Talk Radio, AM 640. 1245, Dr. Payne Show, 416-870-6400. Yeah, star 640 on cell. we got open lines. You want to give us a call, join the conversation. Uh, as we mentioned a short time ago before we had a string of people calling in, and we, uh, we thank you for those calls at uh, 2 a.m. Sunday morning. Clocks go back, fall back, spring forward, all that BS that we do in this province. But it's happening again. You think, oh, it doesn't affect me. Yeah, hashtag kids. It'll affect you. <laughs> they don't care. They still wake you up at the same time. It doesn't matter. So talk to me a little bit about that, about sleep can affect pain and pain levels and the importance of that. Yeah, well, I mean, one of the things that's least understood in healthcare is really 
how sleep actually works. We know it's obviously important. We're not so sure on what exactly it does. We do understand that there's a regenerative process uh, that's involved. Uh, but sleep is obviously essential. We spend, I think it's a third of our lives sleeping. So it's obviously something that's essential. And as we started this program, I mentioned that one of the common characteristics that they found in fibromyalgia research was poor sleep. And when you look at poor sleep, you also look at things like the psychological component. If your mind's overactive, it affects your sleep. One of the other things that's very interesting, I've had people uh, tell me that they find that if they have a really carb-loaded type of meal before bed, they're, they get a lot of dreaming. And the reality- Or cheddar cheese. If you eat cheddar cheese before you sleep, you dream like you wouldn't believe it. Yeah, and it's very simple the way it actually works is- once you take in calories before you go to sleep, yep. your body wants whatever calorie it takes in, it's going to want to try to use it before it tries to store it. Well, the only way for your body to use calories when you're sleeping is the mental process, which is dreaming. And so people that have a lot of that caloric intake prior to sleeping tend to get a lot of dreaming, can affect the restfulness of it. And that's where this whole cycle about a healthy lifestyle, right? Where you look at proper sleep, proper nutrition. There's a reason it all ties in together and it really does affect the pain levels. Because again, if you're not getting that proper sleep, that proper regenerative state that your body needs, it's going to affect your pain levels. It's also going to affect your psychology, which we've also talked about that if you're not psychologically healthy, that's also going to affect your pain level. So it's an all encompassing circle. There's no way to distinguish it and say, it's just this or it's just that it all works together. You know, it's funny. It goes back to an earlier segment where you talked about pain medication and sleep medication for that matter. I mean, I remember for, you know, it, and it was work-related. I wasn't sleeping very well. And I was uh, I was prescribed a very, a very, a very, um, a pain medication that wasn't very strong, a very low-strength pain medication. But it was funny. I took one the first night, slept. Second night, took one. Didn't do quite as much. Would have needed two. And I could see already the cycle that if I had that type of personality, how I would have got on it and stayed on it because it just your body gets used to that that stuff so fast, right? Adaptation and adaptation happens in every aspect. We as humans are adaptable creatures. That's exactly what we're meant to do. Um, and anytime we're put in a static environment, whether that static environment is, it happens with alcoholics. One beer leads to two beers, leads to three beers, et cetera, et cetera. Little got more and more. Yeah, yeah, you adapt. The same thing happens with medication. The same thing I've also said happens with physical types of therapies, the people that we see in our office, that if you keep doing the same physical intervention over and over and over again, there's going to be less of a response once you go down the line because your body adapts to these things. Same as people who train. We all know about that plateau phase where Mm -hmm. you're trying to lose weight, you'll lose that first 10, 15 pounds, and then you start to plateau. That plateau is a direct result of your body adapting to its environment. You can go from a very, very hot temperature, climate, you move to somewhere very, very cold. And initially it's a big shock, but then you adapt. That's what yeah. we do. We adapt. 416-870-6400, star 640 on sale. John in Port Hope. Good afternoon, John. How you doing? Good, sir. What's going on? I uh, have arthritis in my back. I've had it for probably 20 years now. I'm 57 years old. I work heavy construction. And... Uh, I'm on a, a pill regimen that I've been on for probably 10 years, mm-hmm. and I'm trying to cut down on using it. I, I don't know what the arthritis I've just been to the family doctor. I've had two uh, CAT scans. I can't get an MRI because I, apparently I have steel in my eyes. Okay. So, yep. um, so I've had CAT scans. The bottom seven vertebrae of my back, like it started, the first CAT scan was in 2007. I had two vertebrae that were affected. 
Now it's uh, up to seven of them. Mm-hmm. They're all in the L, the L1 to 7 or whatever, are filled with arthritis. Mm-hmm. And I'm just wondering if there's some way to slow down the regimen of pain medication, you know? that I, I mean, it's not like it gets worse. It's not like I take more. I try to take less all the time. Mm-hmm. But if I don't take it, I literally can't get out of bed. Right. Have you had any other types of interventions, any other types of therapies besides the medication? Well, I've tried to have... Um, to have, uh, like, uh, massages and uh, see the chiropractor and stuff. Right. And while that's a great fix for a day, mm-hmm. it certainly uh, is unaffordable working construction where you have no benefits. Like, right. it would be 300 bucks a week, you know what I mean, to get it done every day. Right. There's uh, absolutely no way to afford that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and this is the unfortunate, and this is exa- exactly the reason why I was at uh, Queen's Park this week, because of this issue, what I was saying, if you're going to take one tool away, right, if you're going to limit the amount of medication that you can give to a patient such as John, uh, who doesn't have benefits for anything else, what other option are they left with? So right. if you're going to decrease that, well, then there has to be funding for other things that could take the place of the other things instead of medication, like regular massage or the chiropractor or the physiotherapist. And that's the unfortunate reality that we face is that these medications are not good long term. They're very beneficial in the initial stages in order to manage the acute exacerbations. But really the therapy is what's going to do the best uh, thing in terms of helping the long-term complaint. But when you get into a situation like this where it's not covered, then, you know, what, what's the other option left? And and that's, that's a political question. More calls coming up here on the Dr. Payne show talk radio, AM 640. 1254 Dr. Payne show. Get right to the calls. Got a lot coming in here. Uh, Mohini. Hi. Hello, doctor. Thanks for taking my call. No problem. I want to be lengthy, but I can't because I'm on my <laughs> cell. I just came out of my gym and okay. heard your show for the first time. I'm very interested in it. Okay. So I thought I'll call sure. because uh, since 19, no, sorry, since I was 60 years old, I was diagnosed with diabetes, okay. which is not strange because my parental background and my elder brothers, everybody has it. Right. However, I was put on medication, metformin, one and one, morning and afternoon, and my sugar has never never escalated above 7.2, Okay, that's but pretty good. about two years ago, I got sick, like uh, thyroiditis, and I was taken to Sunnybrook Hospital. As of then, I am with the doctors at Sunnybrook, and I have a dietitian there. I also have my endocrinologist. She realizes that my blood sugar is going up about three, four months ago, and I stay between... 7.1, 7.2 is not going lower than that. And that has only been recently. She advised me that I have to double my medication. Mm-hmm. I am not happy about that, but I must abide with her instruction. In my opinion, I am dieting, I'm exercising, I keep my weight, and I monitor my sugar because I really don't want to stay there. Right. And I really don't want to go on more medication. Okay. But I was put, in, put on two and two about a month ago, two morning, two afternoon. And I come back to my gym, but what I find... I kind of feel dizzy when I exercise, which wasn't so before. And when I checked my sugar then, it gone down like 6.2, 6.6. So I'm saying I didn't need this medication to lower my blood sugar, but my doctor told me and I have to use it. I'm not happy. Do I have to remain on that 2.2 and the 2 metformin? Because I had believed in the 1 and 1 and dieting and exercise was keeping me okay, except that I escalate 7.2. Right. Okay. okay, Mohini, so one of the things things that 
I think you should always have the conversation with the treating professional. So I'm not going to comment on whether you should lower your dosage or not. What I can tell you is uh, one of the things that I like to include when people are being treated for something like diabetes and they have uh, a medical intervention is our naturopaths are great mm -hmm. at also uh, offering some complementary types of things that can be done in conjunction uh, and having the conversation with the medical doctor in order what are the other things that could be done that could help lower that blood sugar and maybe start to reduce the amount of uh, medication that's being used such as that metformin. And I think most physicians are going to look, if they see that there's a positive effect, they'll want to decrease the dosage. So I would definitely say, Mohini, give us a call. I can set you up with one of our naturopaths, which we've had tremendous success, uh, especially with endocrinological issues such as diabetes and working in an integrative manner. So uh, please give us a call. I think we can help. Mohini, it's one eight five 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 five. doctor Lou. Got uh, Mary on the line. Hi, Mary. Hello. Go ahead. you got a couple minutes. Yeah, okay. I'm complaining about a pain that I have in the middle of my thigh. On the left leg. Okay. It's been going on since about the middle of July. Okay. And uh, I haven't had any treatment for it except I, I have been to the doctor and she just recommended painkillers. Okay. But uh, it's very disabling, like I can barely walk. Is it the front of the leg, the back, the side? The front. The front of the leg, okay. So anytime you start looking at the front of the leg, there could be a couple things going on here. It could be a referral pattern uh, that we've talked about before from things such as trigger points in muscles. Uh, it could also be a nerve issue when it's in the front of the leg. Uh, that's probably a higher lumbar area versus when it's the back of the leg, you're dealing more L4, L5, S1, et cetera. So there's a lot of different things that could be, Mary. Uh, I would say, again, not to sound redundant, but give me a call, free consultation. We can actually go through your issue in a little bit more of a lengthy process so that I can understand a little bit more and I can give you the proper recommendation because based on what you kind of said, it's very general, very vague. I I, it, I'm not 100% sure. I'd have to know more. Okay. Okay. And what number can I reach you at? 1-855-55. Just a moment. 855. 55. 55. D-R-L-O-U. 1-855-55. Dr. Lou. Dr. Lou. You got okay. it? Yep, got it. Okay, okay Thanks, Mary, Mary. Very good. Guys, we've run out of time for you. On the line, though, don't hang up. We'll get to you off the air. Yeah. I know you got some time to yeah, stick around, I'll so stick if you're around hanging on the sure. line, stay on the line. We'll get to you. For everyone else, we'd love to have you back here next weekend. Tons of information every show. In the meantime, you want to get a hold of Dr. Lou, I gave that number out again. It's 1-855-55-DR-LOU and info at paincarecanada.com. Yeah. And, John, for these people that are calling in, we could take these calls throughout the week. Do they have the number? Give us a call if you're listening. You didn't have time to get us on the show. Call the 1-855 number. And we'll be back next weekend. Dr. Payne Show, Talk Radio, AM 640.